0: on a journey through Ephesians, Uh, let me just take the time, yeah great, we've been journeying through Ephesians as a church community with the odd pause uh, for different things along the way. So if you've got your, there are Bibles on every other seat, there are Bibles, Um, and you can open up to chapter 5 now, if we can whack it up on the screen as well, that would be amazing, Emma as well. But let me just catch you up a little bit, Uh, are we recording this by the way? Okay great great, great um, we let me just catch you up a little bit on the series so far and what we've been saying about Ephesians. This is this letter that Paul, Uh, The apostle, he planted this community and he's writing back to it about five years on. Uh, And he's saying these two things. I've been talking about how Eugene Peterson described this letter as as, um, trying to, like a surgeon, trying to mend two broken bones in a body. The first broken bone uh, was the broken bone of identity. So he's trying to speak first into identity and their identity in Christ. And the second sort of bone he's trying to fix comes after that, which is the broken bone of behavior and sort of action and all that sort of stuff. Uh, And so um, this order we've been talking about right the way through the series, this order matters because everything we do flows from who we understand ourselves and God to be. Our identity uh, is what is sort of the wellspring for all of our actions in the world. We will be acting out in the world, responding, deciding, um, uh, reacting in the world around us out of who we understand ourselves to be in God. And so that is so important, the fact that Paul is trying to speak into their identity first and then in this latter couple of chapters is really trying to speak into their behavior and into their actions. Um, and, uh, last week we kind of got up to chapter four, Jonah, well, not last week, the week before chapter four, Jonah talked us through and sort of focused in on this call in terms of action. So you, you are the body of Christ. You are beloved. You are chosen. You are adopted to sonship. Uh, you are holy and blemish free. So therefore, and the first thing he goes after Paul is unity. He says, be one be one. And in our oneness, in our unity, we will point to Jesus. Uh, And so Jonah really went after unity and talking about what unity in Christ looks like. And it stuck stuck out to me how he said that unity in the world around us extends to the point of agreement. It doesn't reach beyond agreement. So when you don't agree, suddenly there's not unity in general. Uh, and so we gather around those who are like us, those who affirm our worldview, etc., etc. et cetera. Et cetera and we end up in little huddles of agreement. Uh, and actually, when we get pushed beyond that, we find it just very hard to be unified, to love well. Uh, and uh, But Jonah was talking about how this unity in Christ, because it is on Christ that we are unified. Our unity in the church goes way beyond the point of agreement. Many of us in this room will fundamentally disagree on some bits and bobs of church life and how to do life, how to parent, how to spend your money, whatever it might be. But we are bound together. We are unified around the person of Jesus. It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful witness in the world. And so that was chapter four. Uh, And it ends with this shift, which I'll draw out and just... Uh, a, a minute, um, where, so generally really focusing on the first half, but the second half kind of flows into what we're talking about today. And in your Bibles, you might see at the end of chapter 4, it might be instructions for Christian living or whatever. So we talks about unity, and then we get into some more um, sort of behavioral stuff now. And it ends with this shift of saying things like, don't continue in your old life. Uh, put off your old self. Do not be corrupted by deceitful desires. Put on your new self. Do not give the enemy a foothold. This is all a clue that Paul is in full flow. He's building up to talk about it. Matters what you do with your life, how you live, what you do with your body. These things matter. Your decisions, your actions, etc. Uh, and we land from that into chapter five that we're going to be looking at uh, now. So let me just read it out to us as we as we start. Great. Okay, follow God. Actually, I'm just going to, just to give you a heads up, I'm just going to do the first bit, Emma. I'll just do this slide here, not the second one, which is when we start talking about Christian households and husbands and wives and stuff. But I'm going to take it forward into next week, basically, because it starts talking about other things that are very related. So just to let you know, I'm not just bottling uh, that section. That's next week. I'm just pulling it together. Um, so let me focus on this first bit. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you there must be not even a hint, not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be any obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore do not be partners with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. This is why it is said, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, but instead be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God, the Father, for everything, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Okay, great. There's a few people from the Church of England in the room. Uh, all right. Okay. Hey, there's a bunch of meaty stuff in here, and I'll, I'll touch on some of it. I won't get through all of it in the time that we've got, but let's give it a go. I just want to draw a so I'm really going to like walk through this um, bit by bit. So, uh, interesting. yeah. Oh, yeah, there are. Yeah. So, verse one. Let's try of look at this. This is the flow again that Paul is trying to drive home. He starts with this. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children. Identity, straight away, as dearly loved children. You are loved. Remember, chapter one, adopted into the family. You are loved. That is your identity. Then it goes on to say, next pick, and walk in the way of love. Action, behavior. You are loved. That isn't affected by the following bit. Your identity is rock solid on Jesus. You are loved, dearly loved, children of God. So walk in the way of love. Walk it out. Live it out. Watch Mania, a commentator on this, used to talk about sit, walk, and stand. Sit in the heavenlies with Jesus. Your identity is with him. Walk it out in the world. Stand against the enemy. Uh, and it's the same here. So you've got, dearly, uh, as dearly loved children, you're a rock of your identity. Now walk in the way of love. And then you get this final key bit, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, the example. So you've got this identity in Jesus. You've got this command, this invitation to walk it out, to live it out, to be actually active in being people who walk the way of love. And how do we do that? We follow Christ's example and how Christ poured himself out for us is the example for how we should do it for others. And then move forward as you get into verse 2, uh, with the rest of verse 2, uh, that's verse 3, sorry. And then it has this list. So you start talking about things like sexual immorality, impurity, greed, uh, all this sort of stuff—foolish talk, was joking. Now this is all going to set stuff off in us, because it always does set stuff off in us, and that's fine. Let that do. Let that happen. Um, it's really interesting. I would see it as a signpost. Like, wh- what does that? What? Why do I react? And however I react to those words, why do I react to those words in those? Ways, let it be a signpost to the condition of your heart and how you feel about these things, uh, and let God speak to you and minister to you in those places. But notice this: it says not even a hint, but among you, there must not be even a hint of than the list of things, not even a hint and If you go back to what I was talking about in chapter four uh, in twenty seven it says this uh, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Do not let the devil give, uh, get a foothold in your life. This is a clue as to how, I mean, this is, as you look next week, we'll talk about the spiritual opposition that we face as Christians in the world. And that is what Paul is talking about here. The devil, the enemy, are words um, for that opposition. Uh, and he talks about how the enemy works in footholds and hints. This is the way the enemy seems to work in our life. Trying to get in and corrode and be corrosive to our souls is through footholds and hints. Subtlety seems to be his way of trying to get in under our skin. Uh, it's more corrosive than it is explosive, if that makes sense. What I mean by that is if it's just this like very obvious thing, do this thing, you're like, no, I'm not going to do that. That's just so obviously not right. It's so obviously not the way of love that I've been called to live out. Of course I wouldn't do that. I would never do that. But actually if it's corrosive, if it's subtle, if it's hints, if it's footholds, then all of us, are open to that. We let a little bit in and this little crack forms in our soul, in our spirit and then it dry, It of over time drives to be wider and then suddenly there's this cavern and we're like, how did I end up like this? How did I end up so hard-hearted or so unforgiving or how do I end up being so like this in my marriage or as an employer or as an employee or whatever it might be? We sleepwalk into being a certain kind of shape of person in the world and we didn't even see it coming. Because the enemy works through footholds and hints. Subtlety is his mode of operation. And I suppose this is an invitation for us at this moment. Can we see any cracks appearing in how we live our lives, how we feel towards people and our neighbors, in our relationships? Are there any hints? Are there any footholds? And then it comes on to this, um, yeah, to sort of look at this. Uh, I just tried to scroll up my piece of paper there. <laughs> Gosh, such a millennial. Unbelievable scenes. Um, anyway, uh, notice a thread through these, these things. When you talk about sexual immorality and impurity and greed and all this sort of stuff, and, and coarse joking and speaking badly, all this sort of stuff. Notice a thread through them as they all seem to break down unity. If you, look at, if you actually look at them, before you get beyond, beyond personal offense for a moment, um, and you sort of look at it and you're like, ah, oh, interesting. What was Jonah talking about last week? Be one, be unified. That is a witness to the world. It shows us as the imago Day, the image of God when we are unified. Well, here's a list of sins, like, like immorality and like adultery and like greed. These things corrode. They break down unity. And so it doesn't surprise me that he's bringing them up here. They are bad for community. But notice how the, what happens is that they are countered by thanksgiving. So there's this list. So don't have an, even a hint or a foothold of these things, greed and, and adultery and all this sort of stuff, but rather thanksgiving. If you actually pause it, it's like quite a random opposite, right? Opposite to adultery is thanksgiving. It's quite a random sort of thing going on here. But the word for Thanksgiving is Eucharisteo. Eucharisteo is the Greek word for Thanksgiving. Eucharisteo. In the middle of that word is the word charis. The word charis is grace. And what's what Thanksgiving or gratitude is, is it's looking for the grace in our life, the gifts in our lives, and letting it bubble up to express Thanksgiving. So instead of greed, And instead of a sexual immorality that goes beyond the confines of a covenant towards adultery, this grabbing for more, greed, and adultery, he says, instead, be thankful. Because there is something about looking for the grace in our lives, looking for the gifts in our lives, the the charis in our lives that stirs up a thanksgiving that makes us actually not look beyond what we have and constantly grasp for more. It seems that at the heart of Thanksgiving, uh, Thanksgiving seems to be at the heart of resisting these behaviors that corrode the community around us. This list of sins, as we might call them, seem to corrode community because they are constantly seeking more and not staying in this place of Grace of thanksgiving of the confines of covenant etc etc. So you want this? This talks about immorality, and really, it's talking about more power, more power, more power, grabbing for more. So then you start to be immoral in how you treat people and how you treat the finances etc etc. More gratification in terms of sexual morality and adultery, and this reaching beyond more money, greed, more food, whatever it might be. And so understanding things, let's say, because it seems to be the phrase, money, sex, and power, just for instance, understanding these things as gifts given to us, you know, any power that you might have in the world, any money that you might have in the world, gifts given to us by a giver, keeps them in context, keeps them healthy, keeps them under. We say, our God reigns, he reigns over. That means these things that in of themselves aren't necessarily bad. They sit under this healthy umbrella, this um, lordship of Jesus, and it keeps them all as gifts given to us by a giver that are held in the context of his lordship in our life. And Paul, it's really interesting, as you go into verse 5, um, he talks about these, these behaviours. Um, such a person engaging in these things is an idolater, it's interesting that he uses that word idolater, which basically means worshipping other gods, something else becoming God, not Jesus. Uh, and, uh, and so, you, you know, you would worship Diana, as we were talking about in Ephesus, and that would be idolatry. Um, he's talking here about how greed and how, and how sort of, um, sexual morality and all this sort of stuff can become idols in our lives. That means the gifts have themselves become God's. That's what's happened. They've gotten themselves out of order in our lives so that uh, they now run the show. Our desire for more, more of this, more of that, now runs the show, is now the primary driver and influencer of, of how we make decisions, of what we're chasing after uh, with our lives. And I talked about this before when I was talking about um, you, when Jesus teaches about money and you kind of have two masters. And what money does, <clears throat> and in each of these situations, it promises a mountaintop. Uh, it promises that if you get this, if you have this in your life, then you will feel that thing that you want to feel. That satisfaction, that, that contentness, that wholeness, whatever it might be. Uh, and I was trying to say when I was teaching on, on this, is that it, it operates with this sense of just one more foot, this one more handhold, one little bit more a little bit more and you reach and with each one you try and grab for satisfaction it breaks your heart it cannot deliver and and and, and this is what C.S. Lewis says every idol breaks the heart of its worshipper because because there's if i just had more of that if i just had more of that if i just had more of that and ultimately you then live for that more of that something find yourself in the list uh, and suddenly your life is building towards that and not towards Jesus. And uh, that is why I think Paul calls them idolatry. But this is the thing, is that they they will break your heart. And, and he says here uh, in, I'll come back to it in a second. He basically talks about, oh yeah, in verse six, Let no one deceive you with empty words. These promises that you will find satisfaction in these places, more of this, more of that, more of that, are empty words. They can't deliver on the promise they are making, and so he says here, uh, "Let no one deceive you." Verse six: "Let no one deceive you," which links back to chapter four twenty-two that I was just talking about earlier, uh, which is this: "You were taught with regard to the former way of life, put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires." There is something at the heart of what Paul is trying to get at here, which is like, you are dearly beloved children of God. You are people of light. So put off the old self because these promises, these promises of life and of contentment and of fullness, they are empty. You will not find them climbing that mountain of greed or of whatever it might be. You just will not find them there. You will not find it there. They are empty. So the main way you pick up from, how, uh, from Paul's writings here is that the enemy is at work in our lives, trying to rob us of life, trying to rob us of unity, uh, and uh, through essentially lies. And this is where we've been talking about, Paul's been talking about this sense of identity is so key. We've got to understand our identity in Jesus so that we can spot the stuff that isn't of him, that isn't right, that isn't true, uh, he, he he tells us lies, and his mode of operation is subtlety. So I want to ask you, as we keep going through this series, where do you see a lie creeping in? Where do you see it subtly creeping in, subtly affecting your choices and how you behave and how you treat others and how, what you desire? And in verse 7, it simply says this, do not partner with them. It goes on to say, do, uh, have nothing to do with We have a role here. So your identity is rock solid. You're a dearly loved child of God, adopted, holy, blemish-free, blameless. Uh, And it's a beautiful thing. So that's the sit bit. Then there's the walk bit. We have a role here, it seems. And that role seems to be to slam the door. Slam the door shut. When we see that greed creeping in or we see that lust creeping in, just to use the examples from this passage, there are obviously many more. Is, is to not let there be even a hint, to not let there be a foothold, to not let the crack start so you don't have to close a crevice far later on. Do not partner with them. Have nothing to do with them. We have a role to slam the door. If we don't, then we're letting those footholds and hints take place again in our lives. And here's the thing. We have to be, therefore, discerning people people who can discern and see the difference between truth and lies, where we've been called into a counterfeit, and this is the word over this whole series, um, of, 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 of us settling for counterfeit identities, things that look almost right but just aren't, and they end up leading us away. We need to be um, discerning people to spot where we are being led astray, to slam the door shut. Notice in, back in 419, Uh, i'll read it out no longer live as the gentiles do in the futility of their thinking uh, because they have lost all sensitivity they've lost all sensitivity they've become numb to the ways in which the worship of diana is different to the worship of jesus it is subtly snuck in and crept in to how they understand themselves And they've lost sensitivity to it. They've lost the shock factor about it. They've kind of got used to it. And so it's got in under the skin of their lives. And now they live in a way that follows that idol rather than Jesus. And as we move through to land this, we get to verse 18. uh, And it kind of gives us a clue of a way through and a way forward um, uh, as it relates to this stuff. Um, Is everyone all right in the room? okay good good uh it's um just what it says so i'm just following following the, the spirit the, the the leading of the scriptures here but it, we end up at verse 18 uh and it says this so and do not get drunk on wine which leads to debauchery, is sort of the end of the section and it says instead be filled with the spirit instead of this way of life it says put off the old self and put on the new self You're not children of darkness anymore. You're children of light. So slam the door on this. Close it off. Get rid of the hints and the footholds. And step into who you've been called to be. Who you actually are. Which is children of God and the children of light. And he says, so instead of this way of life, go for this way of life. And he gives three things. Be filled with the Spirit. Speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. Always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. be filled with the Spirit, worship, and give thanks. This seems to be a good start at a counterformative way of life. The way of the world will draw us into what we 've just been talking about a lack of thankfulness, a lack of unity. I want more hints, footholds, drawing me away and towards other gods and not towards Jesus. It seems that the counter way of life is to not rely on your own strength, your own resistance, but to be filled with the Holy Spirit, which is what we were talking about last week, an ongoing being filled. That's the present continuous tense here—is a be being. Don't get filled once. I'm a Christian, and now I have to just do it. And what, this, what was started in the Spirit, you continue in the flesh. It's not the way that he's calling us to. Be ongoingly filled with the Spirit. Then it talks about worship. The thing with worship is, like we've just been doing, it's why it's so important on a Sunday. We just keep whatever we've got going on. We worship and we declare over our lives and our situations and the state of our soul and our heart, we declare the lordship of Jesus. and So we get him back above everything else. Back above our money, back above our sex drives, back above our stresses, back above our empty bank account, whatever it might be, we get him back, or very full bank account, get, it, get, it, get him back up above. Be filled with the Spirit, worship Jesus, lift him up, and give thanks for everything in our Lord Jesus Christ. Just give thanks. Just give thanks. Just spot it. Where's the charis? Where's the grace? Oh, I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful. That I means it's a defense, it's a barrier. I don't need, I don't need my eyes to wander over here because I'm thankful over here with what God has given me. I don't need more and more and more to be satisfied, no, 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 because I'm thankful. I'm thankful for what God has given me, the grace in my life. And it seems to be that that is what Paul is advocating as a great place to start. Be filled with the Spirit, worship Jesus, give thanks constantly for anything and everything in your life. Amen. Um, Should we land there? Would you like to stand? And why don't we do those three things for a minute? We have managed to land like more on time. So um, if the band want to come out, that would be amazing. And and so, uh, yeah. So what we'd love to do now. So what we love to do at St. Basil's, we'd love to pray for people. But we'd love also just to give you space to respond. Um, filter my words. Test them against... What you understand of God in the scriptures. Uh, let them settle from your head to your heart. What God might be saying to you in this moment. Open yourself up to the work of the Holy Spirit. So we'll go five minutes here. So, nice space, a bit of time to let God speak to you now and to minister to you. So what we do is we love to say, just come, Holy Spirit. It's what the church have prayed for thousands of years. Just come, Holy Spirit.